and I'm accosted by all these Colombian Coke dealers trying to sell Coke to us. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like trying to find the cab, trying to find one of our people to help me get to a cab because I'm too wasted to even be by myself. And some, one of the Coke dealers comes up to me, puts a little baggie of Coke in my hand and walks away. And then another guy comes up and he very aggressively starts telling me that I need to pay for that. You need to give me money for that Coke that you have. And I'm just like, nope, I threw it on the ground. I start power walking away. Welcome back, Bannock folks. You're listening to another episode of Bannockdotes, the podcast that holds it down for the underground sound here in Ontario, Canada. And I'm your host, Phil Paxton. Thank you for joining me today. I got a lovely episode cooked up for you. Before I get into it, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review in whatever podcast app you're listening to. Five-star review, following, subscribe, uh, you leave a comment, do all that stuff because it helps me in the long run. It kind of gives me an idea of who's listening and who's not. But I've said this before in the past, even if nobody was listening, I'd still be doing this because, hey, I get a kick out of it. And uh, I really want to showcase all the rad bands that are coming out of Ontario. People are really quick to think that there are, aren't many bands coming out of Ontario. And that is what this show is for. I'm going to prove you all wrong that there are hundreds of bands in Ontario. It's literally hundreds, whether it's metal bands, alternative bands, pop bands, indie bands, all these unsigned underground bands are just bubbling in in Ontario. And, uh, you know, Canada's got this weird um, media scene that we don't have uh, access to as many major cities in between. So it's hard to tour Canada. It's kind of hard to get your music out here in Canada. I'm not trying to make any excuses, but what I'm trying to do is just propel the music industry forward. I want to showcase all the cool stuff that you maybe haven't heard before, or, uh, you know, maybe you've heard the band and just haven't had a chance to check out a tune. And that, that that's what we're here for. And I'm glad you're checking it out today. We got a great episode for you today. I've got Eric Chambers and Kevin Fournier of No Orphans. Now, these two are local legends. Um, Chambers played in several bands uh, in the past, Dead Only Better. He said he's played with Klopex and Snips. Uh, and, and, and Kevin played in a band called A Minute to Midnight. And, uh, and he's played in a couple other projects. I think he played in something called The Smiling Eyes. Uh, he also had something going under his own name. He had this really cool tune. Uh, called the Kitty Song. <laughs> it was a really cool sensation that was coming out during then. Love these guys. I'm really glad that I got to sit down with them because, you know, they're a little bit older than me and uh, I don't know why I associate older people with being wiser, especially in the music scene, just because they've gone through the friggin' loops. All They've jumped through all the loops and stuff that they've had to do before the kind of internet was like the, the platform that it is today. They, they, they had to figure out other ways to get their music out there that was uh, a lot more difficult. You know, podcasts weren't really much of a thing <laughs> even five, seven years ago. So, you know, that was completely unheard of in the early 2000s when, uh, when these folks were really starting to get their uh, bands going. And then eventually they met each other and uh, started No Orphans. Now, No Orphans has been a band, I think they said for more than 10 years, 10, 12 years now, um, which is super impressive. Uh, they've they've had a consistent uh, lineup with the, both Kevin and uh, 
chambers, but they've had some issues with a vocalist. So if you're a vocalist out there in Ontario and you're looking to jam a band, um, you can hit up New Orphans. Uh, I'm pretty sure they got the social medias uh, up and running, but they said they weren't the best at them. But if, if, if you can't get a hold of them, reach out to me directly. This band is looking for a singer. doesn't matter who you identify as. Um, they're just they just want someone to bless their tracks with some vocals. So if you if if that's on something that you're interested in, interested in after you hear a couple tunes of theirs, hit them up and or if you're having trouble hitting them up, hit me up. We'll try and make something happen. <laughs> that's what we're here for. All right, you know what? I'm gonna get started with the song of theirs. This is a fortunate curse here on Banecdotes. Morning, guys. Glad you can make this happen. How's it going? Uh, really good. Thanks, Phil, for having us. It's really awesome. It's so good to see you too. Now, Eric, I think the last time I saw you, I didn't get an opportunity to stop and chat, but I did see your set at Hollow uh, on the Halloween set, the Entombed cover band you were in. Oh, you were there, right on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. How did you make that happen? That seems a little out of character. Entombed. Uh, yeah, we did a Sepultura and an Entomb set at, uh, at the warehouse there. Um, I 
just uh, you, you know you've been around long enough and people need a guitar player they they tend to ask you uh and i've always just been a proponent of kind of if i get to play guitar i'll do it and of course especially when it's with people i know and and, and long-term friends so that's kind of how i got into that Oh, that's super cool. And Kevin, I can't even remember the last time I saw you in person, likely a no orphans gig, probably a couple of years back. But you mentioned in passing that you also play in an active cover band. Uh, yeah, uh, I was living in Hamilton for a really long time, which is probably why not a lot of people have seen me in Niagara. Uh, and I've got lots of stories from being out of Niagara. Uh, but I've since moved back. And uh, during COVID, obviously, there's not a lot of playing opportunities. Uh, no Orphans has always kind of been active writing and we've been recording and stuff like that. Uh, but because of COVID, I, I didn't really feel like I was getting my fill playing wise, no pun intended, Phil. Hey. Uh, and, and so I started looking on Kijiji for people to uh, play music with just for fun and maybe see if I could get some gigs going. And uh, I got in contact with this guy, Lee, uh, who was putting together a cover band that plays exclusively 90s rock tunes which like that's the music that I grew up on uh, and so that seemed pretty attractive to me so I got hooked up with him and uh, he is really hungry and uh, he's good at like getting gigs uh, and so we've been actually gigging quite a bit despite uh, everything I mean when we can because obviously COVID kind of like makes it difficult at times but uh, we've been pretty busy and uh, we've got a large repertoire of probably 200 songs on the go like yeah, it's been really cool just playing 90s rock tunes. Hey, <laughs> Yeah, that seems like a blast. Uh, so by now, I've let the listeners know what you two uh, do and who you are. But tell us in your words, maybe one at a time, a bit about yourself and the history you have with the Niagara music scene. Yeah, so uh, I got my start playing in the scene uh, when I was about 17. Uh, I was playing uh, with uh, Anthony Albanese, who uh, would become one of my best friends, uh, just doing like covers of Monine and uh, bands like that. Uh, and through playing with them, uh, I got involved with a band called A Minute Till Midnight, who uh, would become like my primary band for a number of years, playing like metalcore, that kind of thing. And, and that band actually got quite big, uh, actually uh, in the context of the Niagara music scene. Um, and so I was with them for quite a while uh, and at the end of that band, uh, when we were just getting ready to like call it quits, uh, Trevor, the singer, came to me uh, telling me that Eric Chambers was looking for a drummer. And of course, I knew who Eric was uh, just by being around in the scene. Actually, my first show that I ever went to was at the Knack watching Mary's Bleeding Eyes uh, with Eric playing and Andy McKay playing drums, who was kind of like became my local drum hero. Uh, and if you've seen me play at all, uh, like during those years, you know that uh, I kind of got a lot of my style just watching him play. Uh, so that was the kind of the inception of No Orphans. Uh, the first time that Eric and I played together, I, I like to think of it as like love at first jam because like. Uh, I played with a lot of people before playing in a whole bunch of different bands while I was with a minute till midnight. I was uh, also playing uh, briefly with for man and ghost and uh, Grimmeyer and uh, all these bands uh, at one time, I think I was in four or five different bands, but when I met Eric, it was like all the other projects just kind of fell away. And it was like, this is it, man, this is going to be the guy I play with for the rest of my life. And uh, so far I've been right about that. Um, and so I did that band for uh, a few years. And uh, 
I got to a point where I was about 23 and uh, I was uh, just playing in bands and and living recklessly and partying a lot. And uh, I got to this point where I was just like, I kind of want to start taking myself seriously and start taking music seriously. Uh, and so I decided to go to school uh, in Hamilton at Mohawk, which uh, my friend Anthony Albanese inspired me to do that because he did it before I did. And he ended up doing cruise ships and traveling the world playing music. And I was very inspired by that. So I decided to kind of like pursue that route for myself. So I went to Mohawk College and started studying drum set there and uh, had a like all these different musical experiences that had nothing to do with heavy music. I was learning about jazz and funk and uh, the music of New Orleans and getting involved with all these different projects that expanding my musical horizons. Um, uh, I got involved with this like five horn uh, funk band that was playing all the music of Tower of Power, which is like this amazing 70s like powerhouse funk band. And I got to do a lot of cool stuff with that. Uh, when I graduated, I started making moves towards going to play on ships, which I then did. Uh, that became a big part of my life, playing on cruise ships, which I have a lot of stories from. I'm sure we'll get to that later. Uh, after my first uh, cruise ship contract, came back to Hamilton. I started trying to teach, and I got a job working at MMJ, the uh, weed dispensary uh, in the gray market days. Uh, and uh, that was cool. And then I ended up going back on the ship. And then I came back and I uh, started working at another dispensary because this was post-legalization. I started working at Canna Cabana in Hamilton and uh, I was getting ready to go on a third cruise ship contract, which would have been the lottery ticket fucking cruise contract of a lifetime. It would have been going all over coastal Europe, all over Greece. Uh, I think there was something like 35 different ports. Uh, but then COVID happened and derailed all of it. And uh, so I was trying to figure out what to do with my life at that point because it, all my plans were derailed just like everybody else like COVID fucked everything up for a lot of people uh so I decided to uh move back to Niagara with my girlfriend uh Kelly and start focusing on just getting no orphans going and writing music and recording and that's exactly what we did. We started to uh, record a full-length album completely independently. So we've got 15 songs that are tracked without vocals, but like really, really cool project where we just recorded everything independently. Um, what else here? Uh, yeah, and at that point, I, I was back in Niagara and I got a job right down the street from where I live at a third dispensary. Like, it, like it's so weird how life just kind of like puts you in the situations. I never thought I'd be working in cannabis, but now this is my third dispensary that, I, that I'm at. Right around the corner from me, it's a little place called Kootenai Cannabis. So shout out to them, just a little independent weed shop. It's really cool. Um, and yeah, I'm playing with this 90s band now. Uh, we're still writing new music. We're getting ready to record some new stuff at the end of the month. Um, then we're searching for a new singer for the band, which seems to be like a common theme for our band over the course. <laughs> We are the proverbial revolving door. Yes. <laughs> so that's me in the last few years. That's awesome. That's awesome. And Eric, yeah, do you want to share a bit of your history about yourself with the Niagara music history or community? Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess just a little perspective to start. Um, I'm sure yourself included. You know, when we were getting into, uh, I guess, music in general, and especially as musicians, it was, it was a different world. 
you know, there was no Facebook, yeah. there was no Instagram, there was no social media to speak of aside from maybe like ICQ, you know, MSN messenger. So as far as the avenues to finding other musicians, it was usually in high school. So when I got into, I guess the music scene, it, it was through uh, people I went to school with and there wasn't many of us, but there was a few and there was always a few, you know, groups from each school that were kind of musicians. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get in with a, um, a couple of the older kids in school, which were uh, in bands that I liked at the time, like, uh, I don't know if you know, Race Car, and, and of course, you know, Helicon Blue was a thing at the time. So I, I kind of made friends with a lot of the right people early on, I guess, in my, my playing, uh, I don't want to say career, but history, um, which, which, again, at the time, it was all about who you know, which I'm sure it still is. Um, but the Niagara music scene was, was, it was our, I, it was, it was our social media at the time. Uh, so society. yeah, Bedlam Society. I mean, that, that was, I mean, you know, Joel Carrier sold me a, a lot of my great first CDs, right? Like he was working Sam, the record man in the Penn Center. Um, so I got in with a lot of the right people early on, you know, I, I don't remember how old I was, maybe like grade nine, grade 10. And I, I ended up started playing in kind of a Monine-esque band called, uh, uh, it was called Torrance at the time. And uh, just kind of, you know, we were playing the, the, the crappy shows and we were playing at Mind Bomb and, and anywhere else we could find a place to play, which again, you know, like any musician, it's, like, it's all about who you know, right? So somebody sees you play, playing somewhere and they're like, oh, that guy's a guitar, a guitar player. Well, he's not bad, okay, well, Turns out we need a guitar player now. And, you know, that band dissolves and you end up in the next one, which at the time was like Kevin mentioned, Mary's Bleeding Eyes. Um, and the quality of musicianship for the age that we were, a lot of the guys were really great players. Uh, I, 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 I'm assuming that's still the case, but I mean, in my mind, there was always the like, okay, there's the next, that guy's a better guitar player. What's he doing? How can I kind of, you know, hone my craft and, and, and that's all I did. Right. There was no, like I said, there was no social media. There was, there weren't all these distractions around at the time for musicians. Um, you know, it was, it was easier to stay focused on kind of the, the, the joys of playing music. And the only time you get to like hang out with your friends wasn't on the internet. It was when you go to a rehearsal or when you go to the next show. So again, it was, it was, it was all about being in the scene and and kind of getting in contact with the right people which kind of led me on on my path which led me into to the welland scene back i would i would say in its prime um and that, that's how i got into the welland scene was just you know kind of being at the shows playing at the shows interacting with the other bands that we were playing with which which um led me to meet uh a gentleman in dan can i, I can say full names right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Dan Romano, which was kind of the start of a great relationship there, which I'm I still have friends with a lot of the guys in Welland. Uh, so that was that was a band called Dead Only Better, which kind of progressed into other things over the years. But again, being in the Welland scene, everybody knew everybody, um, which, you know, that band dissolved and it was on to the next. It was always, always, I was never without playing with somebody. Um, so I ended up in the Snips for a long time, played with the Clopex for a while. You know, I, it's, I, I, 
I think I mentioned here earlier, it was, it was more the joy of, of music for me. And I haven't really turned down any musical projects as long as I get to play guitar. You know, which, which led me to that, that cover show that you, you were at on, on Halloween there. Um, so whether it's, it's indie, punk rock, hardcore, metal, whatever it is, if I get to hang out with cool people and play music, I'm, I'm down. And again, that's, that's what led me to meet Kevin. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So Norfins has actually been around for quite a while. I remember trying out to be your singer over like 10 years ago. <laughs> How yeah. long has Norfins been a band for? Uh, I think I was 19 when we met. So, uh, God, 15 years. <laughs> Carry the one minus the two. 15, that's awesome. And it's funny you mentioned because I was going through old pictures the other day and I came across a picture of the show that you played with us at the YMCA and there was no one there. It was just like in the gym of the YMCA. Oh, yeah. Oh, Same wow. happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the only time I ever knew that YMCA put on shows. It was a weird vibe in there. I mean, I enjoyed playing with it, but like it, yeah, it was like a Y dance, but it was like, no, but bands can play too. Yeah. I remember <laughs> a band from like Iran or, or Middle East that, that was there. And I was just thinking like, geez, they, and they were on tour. Like, like I felt bad. Like, how are these guys like carrying on? There's nobody here. And we're at a YMCA in St. Catharines. How did, how did this happen? Anyway, it was for that. <laughs> that's wild how many shows do you think roughly has no orphans played hundreds maybe not hundreds oh, over the like years yeah lots maybe like I, it would be almost impossible for me to even estimate <laughs> in a an embarrassing amount to see where we're at now okay. <laughs> when, when we started playing it was before social media and i don't think we ever really got the hang like it's like we we didn't like keep up with the the transition to it we just kind of kept doing what we were always doing just writing music and trying to play and uh i think none of us are really like social media people especially no. me lately i've really fallen off i don't think i've made a post or even like put myself out on social media for years like well, i kind of developed a complex about it actually i kind of like i i it's something that i want to work towards doing is putting myself out into the world more because otherwise i'm just in the basement practicing for hours a day and playing with the guys which is totally satisfying i mean i, I could probably sustain myself doing that for the rest of my life but I figure if you're gonna do art like you, you kind of have uh, an impetus to put it out there too and try and promote it and, yeah. and, and pursue it and phil maybe i should have prefaced with this as well but um I, I, I think I'm speaking for likely all of us here. Um, you know, playing music early on was something that was obviously a great distraction, but that was my life. And that was my, my career when I was younger, right? That I put everything that I had into it. And, and over the years, you're kind of forced to make a decision. You know, am I going to continue sleeping on my friend's couch and trying to go on the weekend warrior tours and make something out of this? Or can I find a way to still have this a prominent part in my life, but at the same time, I guess, grow up in a normal way where, you know, maybe you get married, you find a, a, a sustainable career, whether it be, you know, whatever you decide or go to and go to school like Kevin's done. And, and, you know, in my case, have kids, get married, do all the stuff that, you know, I guess you're supposed to do. Um, and, and for me, at, by the time I had met Kevin, I had matured to the point where I realized, listen, I can't be going away for a couple of weeks at a time, 
consistently or putting this much of my life into this basket right now. Maybe I can do it later on once I've developed a career and become independent and sustainable and kind of, you know, work that in later on. But by the time I had met Kevin, I had, you know, developed a career outside of music that would allow me to also do music at the same time. And since the inception, I guess, of No Orphans, it's been purely about the joy of music for us. And, and I think that's why, for us anyway, social media has never really been a priority. People hearing our music is not a really, a, it's not a priority. People liking our music, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't, it's fine. Like, if we stay rehearsing once a week, like we've been doing for 10 years, in somebody's basement somewhere, and it's just the four or five of us, or six if we can find a singer, it'd still be fire. Yeah, and, and, and you're now. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe we'll find two singers. <laughs> um, sort of bad math. Um, it, we have the the capacity to do studio quality recordings with the gear that we have. So being able to do everything independently on our own, even if it's just for ourselves. I'm personally happy with that. Yeah, it's super know. fulfilling. You know, I've, I've got three kids and a career and everything else. And, you know, I can, music is, is still a priority for me. And, you know, like, you, again, you saw me doing that, um, the cover show there. Like, that's, that's a priority. If somebody comes up to me and says, hey, man, we're doing a Blink-182 set in two weeks. Can you learn 15 songs? Heck, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'll do it. I, I got enough free time that I can do it. But it's not my priority like it used to be i guess when i was you know late teens early 20s it's funny how that is uh growing up like kevin mentioned uh like when you go to shows you're there for to for the music you're not there to unless necessarily socialize that is an aspect of the shows but it, it is was a lot about uh you know the music sh uh the bands playing what they were playing and it did grow into this like social scene where it is kind of that now um and it yeah social media is a bit of a double-edged sword where there are some bands out there who are constantly putting themselves on the internet who might not practice their instruments as often as you folks do and then there's the other side of that where like yeah maybe your folks not necessarily are as active on the social side but like i've seen you guys play before you guys are very tight musicians so i mean like it kind of speaks for itself and at the end of the day it's all about what the listener really wants to get into whether they want to be uh into that band and see them and feel like it's a little bit more accessible for them seeing them i don't know write a tune in the studio or whether it's it, it all depends on the listener and, and frankly i think you guys are, are always killing it and uh especially you you mentioned that you 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 had a you have a full length record in the in the chamber waiting for like a, a singer where did you record that with we did it here yeah oh wow yeah there's a room over there that we did bass and guitar and keys in. actually we did keys at another place i should we should talk about the uh the addition of keys in the band but you go you go oh yeah 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 we've got we've got a hammond organ player now nice we've got i don't know probably fifty thousand dollars worth of gear and we have a 15 song full length that we recorded over probably about six months last year, which was kind of like our, like, thank God we're doing this because COVID sucks. Anything <laughs> <laughs> else anyway. Um, so we worked around all the lockdowns and, you know, thank God for the, the vaccine. And, and we were able to kind of get together safely and do our thing. Um, and I think without that, I would have, I would have gone crazy for sure. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, it, it, like a, 
professional sounding full length. And, and again, we did that for us. And if it turns out that somebody else likes it, that's fantastic. That's great. But again, and not, not to be like a jerk or anything, but at, at this point in my musical career, I'm only doing it for me because I love doing it. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, it's a good time to kind of talk about how we got keys in the bank. It's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, so reverse back to uh, before I went away to school, uh, No Orphans was doing its thing uh, and we were rehearsing uh, at Eric's grandma's house and <laughs> Eric's brother Greg would frequently be coming to our rehearsals and checking us out and hanging out and stuff like that and he was kind of like a fixture like coming to shows and just uh, hanging out with us um, and then fast forward a little bit and I started going to school uh, and getting into like all this funk stuff and uh, like different different kind of music, uh, and I got involved with that uh, the band that I mentioned that has the five horns uh, playing funk and stuff like that. And I remember uh, there was a time where I was uh, temping at Eric's flower shop during their busy season. I think it was probably the Christmas season, and I was staying at Greg's place while I was temping there because I was living in Hamilton and I had wanted to work at the flower shop uh, during the Christmas break. Uh, so I was staying at Greg's and he and I like kind of started bonding and uh, I come to learn that he had recently purchased an organ and he was learning to play like just through a uh, rock band actually I think is how we <laughs> actually learned how to play yeah. the organ yeah uh, so he and I started bonding and I started showing him the Tower of Power stuff and he started getting really into it uh, and uh, uh, so the uh, keys player that we had in that band was not the right guy. He was a really great player, but he was a jazz guy and he had no love for funk and that that kind of thing. It just wasn't his vocabulary. So it, it, there was something really lacking in that band. Uh, and meanwhile, Greg was really, he's a chambers, like he's just got a natural ability for music and he's coming into it really quickly. And so uh, I, I kind of put it in his ear to be like, man, you should try to like, I know you're not a student at Mohawk because it was a student band, but like, I'm sure that we could arrange it so that you could come and like play these songs. And he was really reluctant at first and nervous because he had never done music before, but eventually like we made it happen. He ended up being the organ player in a, an entirely student band, which we were graded upon. It was a student ensemble, which we would go out and perform. And the, the, the college was using us kind of as their flagship ensemble. They put us as the opener on a lot of the big shows that were coming through, like uh, Robin Ford, who uh, was the founder of the band, the Yellow Jackets. And he uh, would tour with George Harrison and things like a really big fusion guy, big uh, person in the, in the, in the music scene. Uh, and so he, he, Greg was now in that band as a non-student which is like to me like looking back on it is pretty incredible uh and so uh and he and i would start jamming together making improvised music we started another band that was kind of it was the rhythm section of that band playing like original music uh so it's so weird i i have so much chambers in my life like <laughs> i had no orphans on the on uh while i was going to school we we're still doing no orphans granted not quite as much and I was playing with Greg more than I was playing with Eric at that time. And so I, I just was constantly playing with uh, like, uh, so fortunate to play with these guys. Uh, and then fast forward some more uh, to, I think it was like after my second ship contract, 
uh, Eric started suggesting that maybe we have Greg come and play in No Orphans. And <laughs> I was very skeptical at first. I was like, man, don't fuck with our sound. Like we've got, we've got it dialed in. Like we've the, the raw one guitar, one bass drummed played at full volume as like as hard as we can. I don't know that there's space in our music for that sound. And uh, uh, me of little faith, you know what I mean? <laughs> like as soon as we started getting Greg up to speed and he started making parts for the songs and it really did something unique and interesting to our sound. And so he became a band member. So now we've got No Orphans plus organ and synth in the band, which adds this whole other dynamic to it. Um, uh, oh, and when we finally decided to start recording for ourselves that, that the, the album, it started because uh, when my third ship contract got canceled because of COVID, I decided that I wanted to, just to, for my own uh, practicing and for bettering myself, I wanted to start recording myself, just recording my practice sessions, recording my own music because I am kind of a songwriter in my own right, playing uh, multi-instrumental, uh, just doing music kind of on my own, singing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so I now had uh, an interface that could, I could plug all my drum mics into, which I bought as well. Uh, and so I was like, man, I've got this equipment. Why don't we try recording a couple of songs uh, together and see how it goes? Maybe we can start you know, having our own studio to record our own music. And so we were gonna start just by doing one song with the minimal equipment that I had and the, the stuff that Eric had as well. So we set up the drums in the upstairs of his, uh, the flower shop where they have the office uh, upstairs is a really nice room with kind of a big boomy sound. Uh, we set up the drum mics and uh, we did one drum track and we were like, man, this sounds fucking good. And then from that moment on, it's it like Eric made it his mission to get as much recording equipment uh, as he could possibly get. And because Greg up until this point had he, he has his own music project called Superf Superfluous Motor, where he does everything as well, just like on the computer and playing MIDI instruments. Uh, amazing music, actually. Uh, Greg's going to have a little smile on his face when he hears this and he hears me talking so highly about his music. But he had tons of experience mixing and producing his own music, which now that he was in the band, gave us a, a, a studio engineer. So... We have all this equipment coming in, the, uh, the desire to make music. Eric got it in his head that we should not just record one song, but 15 songs, like all of our material, plus some of the stuff we've already recorded. Uh, so we got this huge project uh, to pursue that took us, how long did, how long were we it was, tracking? Like it, was, it was about months. Yeah, it was months. Like it was months. Months of tracking in, in this basement almost every day, just like tracking and tracking and mixing and learning as we go too because it was like it's such a big project to undertake with no experience doing it like this like uh, producing electronic music like Greg does is an entirely different animal than producing a band mm. uh, so we're learning it on the fly pretty much um, yeah so that in, in a nutshell is how we got Greg involved in the band playing organ and then you know getting our own self-contained studio to produce music yeah, that's super cool. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, because I remember when I was jamming with you folks, I met Greg and he was always around at New Orphans Jam. So it's awesome to see that he's finally uh, he's been ushered into the, the, the New Orphans family. He is now uh, not an orphan. Yeah, <laughs> and quickly, I'll give you my take on that as well. And, and of course, there's a lot of like 
I was very skeptical in the onset of bringing Greg in as, as a kind of a full-time member, strictly because he's my brother, right? Um, and, and again, just to kind of go on with what Kevin was saying, if you listen to a lot of our recordings prior to bringing Greg into the band, there is organ on those recordings and keys on those recordings. And Greg was always the guy that we'd be like, ah, this, this, this bridge needs something. And all right, hey, Greg, come on into the studio. You know, you put some magic on top of this. So a lot of our stuff already had organ on it, but it was only in the studio that it was done. We never had that as a live performance or in rehearsal or anything like that. It was just an afterthought a lot of the time. And, and again, bringing Greg in as kind of a late bloomer musician. And by, you know, he was probably mid twenties, early twenties when he started getting serious about his playing, which is 15 years ago, almost now, um, was, was kind of a, you know, it propelled him to be, I guess, the quality of musician that we needed if we were going to have a key player in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it just, over the years of having him on the studio tracks and him being, you know, really into our music and being a supporter of the group as just my brother, eventually just kind of like, all right, well, why don't you bring your keyboard to the rehearsal space? And, you know, you can fill in on a couple of tracks you play on the recording. And then it just kind of evolved into a, well, his keyboards have been here for six months now. Do you want to like, you know, want to consider this as an option? And, and it just kind of was a very natural progression bringing him into the group. And it's, it's, it's been great. Like we, we get along obviously as adults much better than we did as kids and as brothers anyway. And it's, it's, he's been a good personality to have around. And well, you know, when you're in a, in a, in a, any, any, you know, I guess group working together, whether it be music or, you know, solving math equations, having the right people involved is is essential you guys got to get along right so so and that's what north has always, has always been about too is having the you know matt our bass player now my only requirement was that he was a solid dude can he play bass yeah okay great like whatever fortunately he's a good bass player but that wasn't a requirement it was like is he a good dude do i want to hang out with him every week you know can we is this somebody i could see being friends with and if the answers are all yes then he can be in the band like that's that's it yeah we never fight i don't think we've ever had like an argument no i mean like (laughs) you know what i mean like we just get along perfectly to work together on music that being said like we uh there is a dynamic in the band where sarcasm and like you know what i mean jabbing has always been a thing but like we all we all know the the joke we're all in on it and we all kind of rip on each other but like that's just the way it is you know what i mean that's great that's awesome uh, so what have been some of your favorite Ontario bands within the last couple of years? What's caught your attention? Pup. Yeah, Pup's great. Oh, yeah. Pup is amazing. You know what's crazy? Uh, I went to see Jeff Rosenstock a couple of weeks ago. Do you listen to Jeff Rosenstock? No. Oh, dude. Listen to Jeff Rosenstock. If you okay. love him, definitely listen to Jeff Rosenstock. But when I saw him, he had Pup's drummer playing for him because his drummer couldn't come over the border so they they had pups drummer playing which i love pups drummer zach uh, for for my money i prefer jeff rosenstock's drummer it's just a personal drummer thing like but seeing pups drummer play with jeff rosenstock was fucking cool like what a unique moment of novelty and that show was so crazy 
Hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Pup. I don't know if you guys saw, uh, but Hellbent, we actually got to perf- uh, perform uh, on stage with them. Um, we we uh, they they put out a music video called Free at Last, where they asked everybody to cover their song, but the song hadn't been released yet, and they'd only released like the lyrics and the chord progression. So Hellbent made a version of it, and it was super silly. And the music video was just a video of me dancing in my underwear. <laughs> so then uh, we reached out to them because they were playing at uh, their like uh, release show for morbid uh, morbid stuff. And we said, hey, can we open? They said, no, we got some opening thoughts already. So like we can't make that happen. But we got this really cool idea that you come out, use our equipment and play your version of our song before we play our version uh, to like a sold out Danforth crowd, which was absolutely insane. I came out, uh, came out on stage with tearaways, tore them off and I just did the whole performance in my underwear. That's super cool, man. What an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, we saw the video, obviously. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, Pup is a rad band. Any other bands you've been digging? Yeah, uh, Dead Tire. (laughs) Yeah. Super fucking cool. Uh, They've got, like, that cursed vibe that I absolutely love, which is another Ontario band that I've always really, really loved. And I've I've got a cool little anecdote about Dead Tire. Actually, uh, their guitar player, Franz, uh, and I used to be in a band together a minute till midnight for years. Uh, and a couple of months ago, Franz asked me if I would be interested in auditioning to be their drummer, uh, which caught me completely off guard. And uh, I, I was like, uh, I'll give it a shot. And so he sent me some tracks from the new album that they're getting ready to put out. And on the tracks, it's Ian Romano playing drums for them, which uh, he is doing a flawless Ben Kohler from Converge impression on their recording. So he's my favorite drummer and the tracks absolutely fucking slay, like unbelievable. Uh, such that like he sent me five tunes and uh, two of them were beyond my speed capability. I spent weeks working on those tunes and uh, for especially this one tune, I just like, I, every day was trying to play it a little, like I'd start it slow uh, and every day try to progressively push the speed a little bit so that I could get it clean and everything like that. And I could not get, like I'd get it to 90% tempo and I couldn't push that last 10%. I just like the wheels would come off and I would derail and I just like, I couldn't hack it. Uh, and, uh, so like that was, I think the primary reason why like it would have taken so much work to get the whole album plus their previous albums to learn all that material. Uh, I, I'm sure that I could have given enough time and enough effort, but like just with so much on my plate, I just feel like the balance of my life would have been severely like shifted, which it would have been such a cool opportunity. What a band to, to like go and join uh, would have been like some really good opportunities there. And also like just when he asked, I had just gotten my life's balance figured out. Like I just moved to the falls. I just got that job at the dispensary. I was starting to do the cover band. No orphans was like doing the recording and everything like that. It's just like, everything was where I wanted it. Uh, And add to that, just like the difficulty of those songs, they rip, man. Like wait till that album comes out. Like it will fucking destroy. Uh, I just, I had to turn it down. Like I about it for weeks after too. I was like, man, did I just, fucking make a huge mistake but no, i think i made the right decision about it and i think that that story there speaks to a couple things that i i had mentioned one is work life and music balance right as 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 somebody who is 
I guess, gotten older and realized like, hey, listen, you know, work life and, you know, uh, music have to have a balance in my life that are going to be sustainable. Um, and the other thing too is, is again, I don't know if there's any up and coming musicians that are listening or, or somebody who's trying to get into playing in a band. If you focus on your, your, your individual craft as a musician, whether you're a drummer, vocalist, bass player, drummer, or keyboard player, and, and you get good, it doesn't matter what band you're out there playing, somebody's going to take notice. And eventually they're going to say, hey, well, we need a bass player. Oh, what was that band? That bass player was really good. And, and again, that's that's how you, you know, that's how I, at least Kevin and I got, you know, I guess leapfrogged from one project to the next. And, and I think that goes for a lot of, you know, local uh, scene, if you will, musicians. It's It's all about somebody taking notice or somebody that you know in the scene knowing like, hey, that guy's a good bass player. Or, hey, that guy's a good drummer. Um, which is exactly what happened here. I mean, you knew Franz before, he knew you're a good drummer. Of course, they're going to ask you, mm -hmm. right? Uh, another band that I'd like to mention that they're not currently a band, but uh, I've got another anecdote about them is Attack in Black, which uh, there are definitely some connections here as well because uh, Eric was playing in Dead Only Better, which then became Attack in Black. Uh, and years later, uh, Eric had maintained his friendship with Spencer uh, of that band, uh, and uh, this was a couple of years ago now, but yeah. uh, I guess Spencer now doing his own thing, uh, like kind of a folk country kind of thing. He's with Dine Alone Records doing it, like writing beautiful folk country music. He's just like a, just this beautiful singer, guitar player. Uh, I guess he was looking for a band to do a, a handful of shows, a, a stretch of shows. And he asked Eric uh, if he would like to be involved and if he knew any musicians. So No Orphans, like 75% of the No Orphans band became Spencer's band for five shows where we got to go and play these like really cool shows with Spencer. Uh, the most notable of which was uh, we got to open for Burton Cummings of, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, is it The Guess Who? Yeah. The, the Guess Who. Uh, the the songwriter of American Woman and uh, like all these yeah. fucking classics. We got to open for him at the London Fairgrounds in on this humongous stage to two thousand people uh, playing these mm, folk these country music. music. Yeah, yeah. like and, and the, it was funny because Eric was playing bass in the band. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Dave Nardis, who was in the Dirty Nil at the time, was playing second guitar. Uh, we were playing with Aaron Goldstein. Yeah. Uh, who is like Canada's foremost pedal steel player yeah. and, and Greg playing organ, like this fucking good band. Uh, and we got to play this really cool show at, at a church at this festival in Barrie. Barry, and yeah. uh, yeah. we uh, played uh, at the Troubadour Festival in St. Catharines uh, where like Said the Whale was playing on another stage yeah. over there. We got to play these really cool uh, and shows. We and did Cicada. The Cicada. What one was that again? That was insane. That was uh, like Port Dalhousie area. Oh, okay. So then it was yeah. uh, the Troubadour was the one in Barry. Then. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, oh, I, I got you real there. Um, <laughs> I had another thing. Again, it's all about who you know, right? And, you know, hey, Spencer says, hey, you want to play bass? Do you know any drummers? Well, yeah, I know a drummer. You, oh, well, do you know any like key players? Well, yeah, I know a key player. And I know they're good musicians and can hold their own. So yeah, of course. And which again, led us to 
you know, okay, well, Norfolk is going to do folk country for a month now. Okay, yeah. cool. He was such a great player too. Like just yeah. such a professional. He's an entertainer. He, yeah. Nailed it every time. Like, he, like just knew his craft. He knew how to work the crowd. Like he charismatic on stage. He was a storyteller. Like it just felt like, you know what I mean? Like it was easy. Professional and, and just a really great musical environment to be in. Uh, so yeah, that was the Attack in Black anecdote. Oh, right on. And some other bands that I like uh, that are kind of currently going, The Dirty Mill, uh, The Cancer Bats, Protest the Hero from Ontario. Um, mm. uh, do you remember Everything Was Perfect? No, I don't. Oh. They, they were a cool band from way back in the day. Uh, I, I actually got to sub for them for a couple of shows as well. <clears throat> Cursed. Uh, Jude the Obscure, who, do you remember Jude the Obscure? Oh, yeah. Her yeah. vocalist was our first vocalist. Really? Yeah, um, what's his name? James Long. Okay, so James was uh, cousins with the one of the first girls I dated. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think they were a band uh, when I was dating her at the time, but like, if he ever came around to like family functions, it would be like, yeah, that's the that's the guy from Jude the Obscure. I'd be like, oh fuck, that's sick. <laughs> so yeah and it's funny too like you know when i was younger before i could drive going to shows in i, I was from niagara falls right mm -hmm. so i was either at a show in st Catharines at the time or hamilton or or welland basically and speaking of cancer bats you were at the mercy of inspiration yes i do scott the guitar player used to drive me home from shows when i was under 16 <laughs> that's great i've had scott on the show Oh, right on. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, just a, a gentleman. One of the nicest guys. Yeah, he also helped produce the, the latest uh, Hellbent stuff, too. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Shout out to Scott Middleton.
Awesome. Let's get into some anecdotes. Uh, so tell me some of the wildest stories you guys have from being in a band, whether it's on the road, in the studio, or like anything in between. Uh, it's funny because like, you know, being on the road when I was younger, you know, we had printed out MapQuest directions, right? <laughs> yeah. We didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. There was none of this. And it's funny, a lot of like my fondest memories now were some of the worst situations at the time, you know, you know, you get out and oh, it smells like gas and you hear and we're in Halifax and there's, there's gas leaking onto the muffler under the van. Like it's just some, some of the situations that I got into when I was younger that were, you know, at the time dire situations are some of my fondest now. And, you know, you know, sneaking into Dalhousie university, do you use their, uh, computer lab so that I could go on ICQ to talk to my girlfriend because I didn't have any quarters left, right? You know, it's like some, some of my fondest memories now at the time were just like, you know, how are we going to get out of this? But if you, if you want to tell some relevant ones like this. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much more relevant mine would be than yours, but okay. <laughs> uh, I got a good one from my second ship contract. Uh, it's not really heavy music, but like just from being a musician, like crazy things happen. Uh, so I'm on my second shift contract. We're about five months into the contract, which after a certain point of being on a ship, uh, even though it, it's very much like a fantasy life, like you're just traveling the world every day, you're in a different exotic port. And then in the evenings, you're just playing music and on carnival ships, uh, you function more or less as a cover band every night in the bar. So you're just like, at a very high musical level playing as a cover band for a different audience all the time. Uh, but like, it starts to become very much like you're in Groundhog Day, you know what I mean? You're, you're never on land at night. You're, you know what I mean? You've got like a 4 p.m. curfew to be back on the ship. Uh, it, it, it can start to become monotonous. And at that point we had been doing the same circuit for about five months, but we had scheduled uh, in our itinerary to, uh, change home ports uh from uh where were we going out of at the time uh i don't remember uh more on the e oh we're going out of florida and we were relocating uh to a new home port going uh through the panama canal all the way to the west coast to long beach which we got a whole brand new set of ports which included uh three islands in Hawaii, all these different Mexican ports. Uh, and on the, on the way, we stopped in Cartagena, Colombia for our first overnight of the contract, where we were allowed to go out onto a port and not come back until the morning. So we were uh, going stir crazy a little bit from being on the ship for so long. And then we suddenly had freedom to go out into Colombia <laughs> as a bunch of like musicians uh, and, and go and have this adventure. So we get out of the ship. We finished playing our sets uh, at around like 1030 or, or something. I think we ended early that night because of the overnight. Uh, luckily, the female singer of the band, uh, her fiance uh, was a casino dealer who was from Colombia and a fluent Spanish speaker. So we had like a guide to take us thankfully, because when we got off of the ship and as soon as you get out of the port, you're accosted by all of these really aggressive cab drivers who are all trying to get you into their cab, just basically yelling at you, like really uncomfortable, like super intense. 
And luckily, uh, Jose was like, you know, speaking Spanish to them, not taking any shit. Like, this is what we're doing. This is where you're taking us. Uh, so we get in a cab and we go and we arrive uh, somewhere in the downtown of Cartagena. Uh, and we get out, we're walking to this like nightclub uh, where we're gonna uh, hang out and party. And uh, we had plans to then go like to the old town part and walk around the cobblestone streets and, and all that. But we're stopping at this nightclub first. We get out of the cab and we're walking towards it. And I remember this, this dude in a wheelchair being pushed by his friend or whatever comes up next to us and starts aggressively rapping at us in Spanish. He's got like a boom box on the back of the, <laughs> of the uh, wheelchair and he's aggressively rapping like at us, like not just rapping, but like, like almost like he was antagonizing us with it. So we're, we're walking, trying to like not make eye contact and just like, okay, what's going on? And we get to uh, like where the club is and uh then like they start asking us for money for the performance and we're like oh man I, I think maybe somebody gave him like five bucks or something like that to kind of leave us alone we go into the club and it is like almost like from a movie like a sweaty Colombian nightclub where everybody like the music is pumping and we're just there and I'm not like a club guy I don't think I've ever been to a nightclub where that's the vibe and so I'm just like okay like and <laughs> So we ended up getting all these bottles of tequila and just drinking shots of tequila and getting really fast wasted. Uh, and like all of us just super drunk. We ended up on the roof of the club where they had like a second bar where you could hang out and like overlook the city. It's a beautiful view. Actually, I have all these pictures of it. It's really nice. And uh, like one of the guys, like the soloist from the ship, like the acoustic guitar guy, who like he's kind of a lone wolf on the ship. He was with us. He's like vomiting into the planter on the roof of the bar. Like, like shit is getting debauched. And uh, eventually, like th this was so stupid. Like we should have stayed together, but like everybody was drunk and trying to leave at separate times. So we're like all getting separated. And like I'm like, okay, I gotta get back to the ship. I'm fucking wasted. Like, and something to bear in mind too is that carnival had recently put into effect new alcohol regulations where you're not allowed to be drunk as a crew member because they are having problems with people like dying and like depression is a big factor on cruise ships as well or like people committing suicide and uh and alcohol is a big factor in that so they put in these really harsh stern rules about not getting drunk on the ship and you could be breathalyzed at any time and if you're found to be over the limit you could lose your job and be left behind at a port same thing with drugs they can drug test you at any time and they may leave you behind if you're found with drugs or sent home whatever it is so uh, that's something to keep in mind as i move forward with this uh, so i'm leaving the club trying to figure out how i'm going to get back to the ship because now i'm kind of on my own <laughs> and uh, i get outside and i'm accosted by all these Colombian Coke dealers trying to sell Coke to us. And uh, so I'm like trying to find the cab, trying to find one of our people to help me get to a cab because I'm too wasted to even be by myself. And some, one of the Coke dealers comes up to me, puts a little baggie of Coke in my hand and walks away. And I'm like, what? do I do here? What do I do? So I'm like kind of dumbfounded, just looking at it, walking away. And then another guy comes up and he 
very aggressively start telling me that I need to pay for that. You need to give me money for that Coke that you have. And I'm just like, nope, I threw it on the ground. I start power walking away. Luckily, I, I don't even <laughs> remember who in the band I found to get me back in a cab. I don't remember the cab ride back. I don't remember going through the security checkpoint on the ship because in order to get back on the ship, you have to go through security. You have to put your shoes on the conveyor belt. You get padded down. They see you and the fact that I was barely able to walk, probably reeking of tequila, they just like let me back through and somehow I ended up back in my cabin. I remember like vomiting on the bathroom floor and like our bathrooms in the cabin are like a little fucking phone booth sized bathroom with a shower and a toilet and I just like vomited and somehow passed out uh, in my bed. And then the next morning, uh, I, I hear from the other band members, uh, our band leader, Danny, and the bass player, Connor, comes back on the ship. Uh, and they're telling me their, their portion of the story where they got back obliterated, wasted to you. They somehow got through security as well without being questioned or anything like that. But they hadn't seen our female singer and Jose, her fiance, come back to the ship. So they're worried for their safety, like because they had an experience with Colombian Coke dealers trying to get money from them as well. So such that they were getting into their cabin. Apparently, one of them was like reaching, trying to reach into their pockets to get money, like super aggressive, like scary shit. And uh, so they were concerned. So risking their jobs they went to security and said look this is the situation like we're concerned about our our team member like we want to know that they got back safely and so like they're they're like okay like we'll like we'll notify you but they uh, for all of their good intentions and like honesty and trying to get the situation figured out and make sure that everybody's safe the security of the ship breathalyzed them and found that they were way drunk and they got in big fucking trouble for for a, like a, they were possibly going to be fired uh so they had to have a big meeting with like the the crew the um the cruise director and like all of the higher ups on the ship and luckily they weren't fired because like trying to rehire a band mid-contract like there's hundreds of songs that are all like rehearsed and prepared like to make that happen is a fucking tall order. Plus we're a damn good band. We brought in a lot of money to that bar. We are great performers. Like we're ranked very highly in the fleet, uh, uh, which is why we ended up getting the offer for that Europe contract that later got derailed. Uh, but man, what a crazy night of just like debauchery and Colombian Coke dealers and just being super wasted in Colombia. <laughs> Working on a cruise ship kind of sounds like you're in prison. I mean, it could be viewed that way, but there are so many perks that it's like, it, it's a double-edged sword. It's You are having the experience of a lifetime going to places that you never even imagined, getting paid really well. Like as, as far as getting, uh, as far as music jobs go, it's the most money I've ever made. And like, not even just music jobs, that's the most money I've ever made. And <laughs> every night, six nights a week, I'm playing four sets a night. And then it, during the day, I'm just like, I, I had a, a very strict routine where I would work out in the morning. I'd go use their state-of-the-art gym that's supposed to be for the guests. I'd just go 
out. And then after I've done working out, I'd go out into the port and I'd go swim in the ocean, go eat the local food, go to the fruit stand and buy mangoes and bring them to the beach and sit in the water and like just gorge on mangoes in the water. <laughs> it's like, it's a fucking dream. Like you're living in this fantasy land, uh, but it's a very long time to be away from home. You're disconnected from all of your friends. Uh, you eventually you really want to go home. Uh, so, which is why when we started going to, towards our new home port, uh, it was such a, a refreshing breath of fresh air to get to see new ports and have these new adventures. Uh, but let me tell you, when your contract is over and it's time to go home, you're fucking ready. <laughs> <laughs> is there any internet on the, uh, on the cruise? Yeah, but it's uh, very spotty. Yeah, I would imagine so. Pay for it by the hour. Oh, know. Wow. You can buy a different package. You can buy just the social media package where you get an hour of social media for five bucks, or you can get like the, like all internet, which is not even worth it because like terrible, like trying to have phone calls with your loved ones, like you're dealing with huge delays. So like, you'll be talking and then like, you know I mean? They'll start to talk over you because you just can't find the rhythm. So if you really want to use the internet, the, I mean, a lot of crew members would just waste all their money buying internet and trying to make do with the internet that they have. But for me, I, I'm not terribly obsessed with the internet. And so like when, for, especially for my second contract, <laughs> I, uh, I would just go out into ports and part of my routine was I'd stop at a coffee shop where they had free Wi-Fi and, and use it. Some ports didn't have that depending on how remote it was. Some, you know what I mean? If you're on the island of St. Kitts, they're not as well equipped there as maybe in St. Thomas, because that's an American Virgin Island. So like, it depends on where you go, but yeah, internet, definitely spotty. I'd like to imagine that the guy, when he was rapping at you, that he was just complimenting you the entire time, just really aggressively. Like, I really like your pants and this girl over here is pretty cute. Could you introduce me into her? And you guys are just like, no, like, <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, so w- what are your go-to gas station snacks when you're on the road? Both of you. Gas station snacks. That's a damn good one. I- there's nothing really good at gas stations. <laughs> are, we, are we in Quebec or are we? We're in- anywhere. All in it if it's Quebec, it's beer. <laughs> <laughs> Not a baguette. Uh, no, maybe a, yeah. If you get further into Quebec, yeah. You know sure. something? Uh, now that you mentioned Quebec, they have these delicious little things. Uh, it's this package of really super salty cheese that's like stringy, where you pull it apart. They call it filoche. And uh, you can't eat more than one package without like having it down a whole bunch of water because it's incredibly salty, more so than like cheese curds or anything like that. Uh, but I really like those. <laughs> when you are on the road, you get to experience, especially in, in Canada here, you get to experience a lot of different varieties of offerings depending on where you stop. You know, you get the the cheese curd stands through Quebec and into New Brunswick and you get the, you know, the poutine stands and stuff like that um in in ontario yeah it's just whatever you can find you know you get your vitamin water and your you know (laughs) your beef jerky or whatever you want you know you get into quebec okay now the guys can start getting some beer and stuff at the gas station and then you get into like you know far east and it's like well they have a lobster burger at mcdonald's let's let's try that out you know so it depends on where you are and and what the mood is but uh, i don't i don't i don't typically have a go-to for myself Fair enough. Fair enough. Like if I can, I'll, I'll opt for something that's lighter or like plant-based if I can, like I, I do eat meat, but like I, I try to be mindful about how much garbage I'm eating and try to take care of myself uh, in that regard. 
Cool. So if no orphans was at the level of Metallica, you guys are selling out arenas. You guys are super popular. What's on the rock star dream writer? What's waiting in the green room for you? Uh, my needs are not very extravagant. Uh, it's like a quiet place to mentally prepare and like, like warm my hands up. Uh, some like light, but sustained like a like food with some like a sustenance to it um water uh maybe uh some mushrooms <laughs> perfect yeah uh for me i guess it would be really good wi-fi having three kids with ipads and stuff they're gonna want to be on roblox they're gonna be wanting to like watch their stupid youtube videos that they watch or you know, and making sure that the kids are well entertained so that I can just not have to do anything. <laughs> um, I'd say for myself personally, yeah, a nice quiet space to just chill and hang out. Maybe some paps, maybe. Oh, yeah, some nice, you know what? Oh, you know what? Like some some plain ruffled chips and like hell of a good dip. That's, that's, that's my like, you know, my cheat night, you know? <laughs> You know what? Like, if, if we're on the level of Metallica, we have you know, whatever we want. I need to get like some sushi or something. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe, maybe because you guys want to take it easy, because it sounds like you guys want to quiet. Maybe a deck of cards, just to play some. You know, I practice throwing them. Yeah, yeah. You're not to play with them, just to practice. Uh, you know, a watermelon and some cards. I'll practice. <laughs> Having some video games would be cool too. Like just to kind of pass the time. If we've got a lot of time to kill, like you know, like. A, PS5, maybe. PS5. I was thinking, like, get one of those little Cody's with all the original SNES games. Oh, that's great. We had one of those during the recording process. Uh, we we actually were playing a lot of old video games while we were trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite old video game? Bubble Bobble. What's Super that? Uh, Bubble Bobble. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard of Bubble Bobble. And no, they did. They had an arcade version, but the Nintendo version was my jam. Look it up. It's 100 levels. It'll it'll give you at least a day's worth of entertainment. Bubble bobble. Bubble. It's not bust a move. You're not talking about like that. There's another one called bust a move. No, it's for NES. Bubble bobble. Here. Oh yeah, it's the same. It's oh, you know what? It's the same little characters from Bust a Move. Those look the little dudes, but it's a completely different concept of a game. Interesting. Dinosaur guys. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, did you play a lot of Bubble Bobble while play, uh, recording the record? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons of it. Tons of it. Tons of it. I like Super Mario World. Yeah. Can't go, like the Super Nintendo version? Classic. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. The 96 star probably four times in like a week and a half. <laughs> yeah. Player, which was Matt. Like, yeah. Eric, because Eric has the, the thing with all the old games on it, and we, we would come in and, like, it seemed like Eric's first priority to, like, get Matt to play whatever game Eric chose for him. And he was like, You must beat this game before we leave. <laughs> yeah. But we had, you know, the function where you can, like, reverse your death. So, like, we could get through games really quickly. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, play, play 10 minutes of Bobble Wobble. You'll be hooked. I will. <laughs> you heard and listeners, you heard that too. Play, play, play 10 minutes of bubble bottle. Cool. All right. Let's get into I got one more question for you. Um, it's a pretty big one though. Let's list off some of your favorite artists of all time. 
wow. Like artists, individual or like groups? Uh, groups. Let's say let's say groups. Yeah, Converge is a huge one for me. Um, Snarky Puppy, which is not a heavy band. They're more in the like jazz fusion rock kind of realm. Like definitely like one of my all-time favorites. Um, Sunhouse, big one. Old Blues. Sunhouse, big one. Um, Merle Haggard, big one. Neil Neil Young, big one. You're a big Propagandi fan, aren't you? Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) No effects. One of my all-time favorite bands is No Effects. Yeah, there's, uh, there's. I still love No Effects. They're the best. Um, what else? Oh, Jeff Rosenstock. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. Definitely check him out. Like you mm-hmm. can't fall in love. Like if you love Pup, Jeff Rosenstock. To me, like I, I have Jeff Rosenstock first and then Pup underneath. There's really, a lot of like jazz artists as well like uh, i love mark juliana uh, he's a drummer that is in that realm uh yeah so many and i'm blanking well like some i guess i can give you some of this like more i guess there's trends in everybody's music listening history right you know you kind of go back to old things and you find something new um recently i guess in the garage yeah propaganda is huge like they, it's just a recurring like you know, every couple months, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me listen to those albums again. Like, they're fantastic. Um, Queens of the Stone Age has been oh, yeah. a fairly big one for me recently. Just, you know, kind of going through that stuff again. Um, but a lot of the old country stuff, um, a lot of the, uh, like, Delta Blues stuff, like, it's, it's always been a part of my life. Um, yeah, uh, it, it depends on how I'm feeling. I got into, uh, you know, the band The Haunted. Mm-hmm. The Haunted Made Me Do It album. Got into that one again recently. That that's that's a classic. That's you should everybody should go listen to that album right now. Um, I gotta check them out. That album in particular was was my The Haunted album. Yeah. Uh Refused is a yeah. really big one for me. Uh I got a lot of my uh when I was younger, listening to David Sandstrom, the drummer of Refuse, I got a lot of my uh, early uh, stylistic influence from that drummer and that band. As far as like singer songwriters go, that are going to be relevant, I guess, to this kind of audience, go listen to Elliot Smith. Oh yeah, yeah, Elliot Smith is great. <laughs> Fantastic, like Beatles inspired, just genius songwriter producer. Um, that that was a, a big one when I was younger as far as like non-heavy music goes. Oh Wolfpack. Wolf oh man. Yeah, man. check out Wolfpack. They're, Wolfpack. they're they're amazing. That's V-U-L-F. Yeah, I was gonna say I've never heard of that. V-U-L-F. Dude, ready for get ready for your mind to be blown. That's like funk, but it's its own thing. Like it's got such its own personality. Uh like as far as like that world goes, they're two very different bands, but Snarky Puppy and Wolfpack are like my two ultimates. And like the, all of the sub projects that those bands spawned as well, because each of those members has their own projects that are all amazing too. Like some of the best playing in the world, like that's world-class musicianship and so cool too. Like def- definitely check those bands out. Right on. Well, I think we covered everything, but if there's anything you guys want to get talk about and get into, uh, feel free to bring it up. No, I, I think this was great, man. Thank you so much for. Yeah, no, thank you, Kevin and Eric, for taking the time to do this with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, likewise. 
where can all the listeners find all your social medias? Uh, and if, you, if there's anything else you have to plug or give a shout outs to, now would be your time. Yeah, uh, well, we're on Spotify. Uh, you can find us, uh, just search Norfans on Spotify or uh, on YouTube. We've got a bunch of stuff. Uh, social media, we're, uh, we're really bad at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Facebook. I don't like no orphans. We have the Instagrams too, right? Yeah, but yeah. we never use it. Like, uh, like right now, we can use this as an excuse because we don't have a singer, so we're not currently like promoting anything. We're kind of just trying to find a singer. So, if you're a singer that can sing metal, like that kind of thing, and you're in the Niagara region and uh, you don't got a band going on, and you want to like get in touch with us and see if you can maybe be the guy, definitely do. Because or girl. Yeah, or girl, or whatever you identify as. Yeah, totally cool. Yep, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, get, get in touch with us, and then at that point, we'll be able to tell you our social media because we'll get back on the horse. Yeah. <laughs> so you're here to hear uh, first, folks. Uh, so if you're, you're a singer and you're looking for a band, No Orphans is looking for a singer. So uh, if you're having a hard time reaching out to them because their social media isn't so active, you can always reach out to me, and I will put you in contact with them. We'll make something happen, Ontario. Awesome. Uh, Look. Let's end the show with one of the old tunes. This is Diagnosis by you guys. All right, let's take it easy.
you have it, folks. That was the episode with no orphans. Such great guys to sit down and talk with. They, like I've looked up to those folks. Those guys are local legends. They've been playing in bands for so long. So I'm so glad I got to sit down and speak with them because we had a great time. So I got the show started off with a song by them called You Lose off of their latest release called Cabin Songs. And in the middle there, I played The Mad Prophet, which is off a of self-titled release. It came out a couple of years ago, I believe in 2017. And at the end there, we played a really old song by them. It's called Diagnosis. It's clearly a different singer at the time. Um, this is this is the tune that I knew of them when, when they came out. So uh, I'm glad we got to feature it because a really cool tune, really cool band. All right, folks, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Follow us on Instagram at Bandotes, B-A-N-D-E-C-D-O-T-E-S. Leave a comment, like, subscribe. Um, if you have a new single coming out uh, this month, shoot it my way. I would love to feature it on the New Music of the Month episodes that I do. That's every last Friday of the month. So three, two days from now, you'll get one because uh, I'm cooking one up. And I apologize for sleeping on the throwback Thursday this month. Uh, I had a bit of dental issues. I had to get a tooth pulled. Um, so... That was kind of the last thing on my mind was uh, nostalgic bands. (laughs) And I figured with that festival that just got announced, uh, you you had enough nostalgia for one week. Uh, You you could wait. You could wait a bit. All right, folks, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to enjoy the Bills, and uh, hopefully they beat the Chiefs. I'm in the past right now, but when this comes out, it'll be in the future. So we will already know who would won. But we know that it's the Bills. Take it easy, folks.